we have to think about, are we asking the AI the right questions early on? If we ask AI the wrong questions, we will get the wrong results based on the data we put into it. And one of the challenges is actually making sure that we don't just ask, we don't ask the wrong questions to the systems we build. Welcome to the Agile Digital Transformation Podcast, where we explore different aspects of digital transformation and digital experience with your host, Tim Butera, Content and Community Manager at Agile Drop. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. I'm joined today by Simon Wakeman, Chief Operating Officer at the UK technology group, The Panoply. In this episode, Simon and I will be talking about the role of automation and conversational AI in a digital strategy. Welcome, Simon. It's great to have you here. Thanks, Tim. It's great to be with you. Okay. I think it makes the most sense to begin with something more general and basic and because Automation is quite a broad term, so not all of our listeners may know exactly what we'll be covering today. So can you give us kind of a brief introduction or a short overview of automation? Absolutely, sure. So artificial intelligence, AI, has been around a long time. Lots of people talk about AI, but what we now see is a maturing of artificial intelligence. So it actually means that automation as part of a digital transformation program is a reality for organizations in lots of different sectors. Um, if I think about the kind of work we do at Greenshoot Labs, we work in two particular areas. We think about automation as making someone's life easier. We're either making life easier for our users, so they could be our customers or our members or our donors if we're a charity, or we could be making life easier through automation for our organizations. So people that work in a company or a charity or a government organization, how can we automate the work they do day to day to make their lives easier and to make things more efficient for the organization? And also in the context of making the things easier for the organization, not only easier, but also leaving more space for, for uh, the creative tasks, you know, because it's usually the, it's usually the things that can be automated that take up a significant chunk of, of an employee's time. So being able to automate that kind of gives so much power and, and agency to that employee. Absolutely. And yeah, we can really, our focus with automation should be about how do we automate the things that machines are good at and humans actually aren't that good at? And how do we therefore make space for humans to do the things that only humans can do? So I guess we kind of answered my next question, at least partially now, uh, and that is why automation? Like what is... Is there anything else that we haven't covered uh, under the business value of automation and how it can help drive DT? I think, I mean, if you look at it from that lens of users and organizations, for users, really, for, that means that we can drive up satisfaction. So we can have happier mm -hmm. customers. We can have less customers leaving us so we can reduce customer churn potentially. And when we're trying to sell additional products, those cross-selling to existing customers, we can drive um, value per customer up as well. So there's a number of different metrics that actually demonstrate the value of automation in, a, in an existing customer or sorry, a customer setting. Within an organization, we can think about how can we use uh, automation, artificial intelligence, conversational AI to drive down the cost per serve. So the cost is less to serve our customers and actually get a better experience. And also, how can we scale? So one of the, some of the work we've done at Greenshield Labs has been, have been helping small organizations actually serve far, far more customers than they could ever do through traditional means, purely by using conversational AI. So you definitely say that there's a lot of potential here and kind of it's a, it's a very broad, the benefits are very, very far reaching. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's the interesting thing. And the, 
I mean, we've Green Street Labs has been um, in existence as a, a standalone business for about three years now. And even in those three years, we've seen the technology come on leaps and bounds. Mm-hmm. And that means that really the possibilities of what we can do now will, will be small compared to what we could mm-hmm. do in two, five years time. And actually for lots of organizations, it's about how do we get on the journey? How do we start experimenting and learning about conversational AI? Because once you've started that, the possibilities will grow in the future as the technology continues to evolve very rapidly. Yeah, it's definitely one of the fields that I've seen grow the most rapidly. I, I think we're primed for even more exponential growth of AI and similar technologies. Yeah, I would agree with that, definitely. And what are some types of automation that we're seeing being employed the most frequently? Are there some trends that you expect to see rising enormously in the coming years? I think the ones the ones that we're seeing right now are the start of automating um tasks that are relatively low level, relatively high volume. So if we think about the complexity of a, a task for someone that who maybe is contacting an organization to receive a service, to um, sign up for something or to change their details if they're moving house or something like that, those low level or to low level repeated tasks are straightforward to automate. And actually mm. those are the kind of things where customers are getting a far faster service. Within organizations, we're working with um, a number of organizations about their HR and their IT help desks. So for example, resetting a user's password within a corporate organization is actually a really, really time consuming task because it happens so often. How can we automate that? And we can save time for those users um, within the organization. So I think at the moment, it is those low level tasks that are low level single or short sequences of tasks that are easily most easily automated the growth in the future will be about the multi-stage conversations that will happen so it won't just be a case of a few short interactions it will be actually a long sequence of interactions open-ended interactions where it's far more complex and we may be dispensing for example more complex advice rather than fulfilling a simple task it will be about listening in the conversation the artificial intelligence understanding what's going on in that conversation and then providing appropriate advice within the bounds of the, the way the system has been configured. And those are the kind of things where we're, we're still at relatively early stage for market maturity. Okay, I, I want to just return to something, to, to, to the example that you gave earlier uh, about automating the updating of a password and the, the thought that crossed my mind when you said that, are there any additional risks, especially in this example, that you need to be aware of if you do it in an automated way rather than doing it manually. Yeah, there's certainly security considerations to think mm. of. I mean, within an enterprise, it's relatively easy to provide, to undertake some of those kind of things. But we see, for example, um, financial institutions using voice recognition as a as a, um, as a tool to authenticate as well. So the combination of automate a, a audio-based chatbot and um, voice analysis actually can provide really high levels of security so there's different options but it's uh, yeah it's definitely something to think about that's a very good example yeah can you think of some further maybe even more specific specific examples of automation being put to really great use like solving really really particular pains or producing very unexpected gains yeah, I mean, so one of them. One of my favourite examples is a project we did for a UK charity called Cyber Helpline. So this is a very small charity set up by people who are cybersecurity experts, and they set up this charity to help people who've been the victims of cybercrime. So, for example, mm-hmm. if you have a, a virus on your laptop or ransomware or anything like that, because that's a very that's a, a major and growing problem, but it's yeah. also very difficult to get help because it's a very very specialist area. 
and they wanted to grow. They have volunteers who provide telephone support, but they wanted to see how can a chatbot help them extend the reach of what they do. So what we did was we did a discovery phase and understood how they provide the service at the moment. And then we thought, how can we use a chatbot to provide that service? So what we've developed is a chatbot that anyone can use and you go onto it and you just describe what's happened. So you may say, I'm being asked to pay 100 Bitcoin to access my files or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then the we've developed a knowledge graph working with the um the volunteers so we basically codified the knowledge they have and then built a system that analyzes what people tells it tell it and then does a scoring so it will basically say i think this is 90 percent likely to be ransomware or 75 percent likely to be a virus or whatever the type of attack is and then it will provide some questions that allow it to clarify its thinking so is it right is it definitely ransomware and then it will provide advice on the back of that it will also escalate a more complex case. So if it's not sure, or if it hasn't seen something like this before, because the threat is always changing, it will escalate that to a human. So what we've allowed them to do is reach far, far more people than they could with just human volunteers. And actually, we're really, really proud um, that the the detection rate is about 73%. So about three quarters of every problem that you present to it, it correctly identifies and then gives the advice that's relevant to that. The client is also able to update that. And so the knowledge graph is always changing as cyber criminals change their attack vectors. We can, uh, we've allowed the client to update new, put in new attacks, tell it what to do, how to identify the kind of words that are being used. So it really, really is helping people who are victims of a new form of crime help themselves. Yeah, that does sound like a very, very practical and very useful, useful use of automation, especially, as you said, a kind of a new form of crime, which is probably only going to grow, probably also exponentially, like we see in the field, such as, for example, WordPress has a huge market share. And that's why WordPress websites are so often the target of of attacks, just because it's, it's such a large percentage of the web. And I guess it's much easier. I think I had a had a conversation about this once that of course you'd be more worried about somebody breaking into your house but you'd be much less concerned about about it happening than somebody hacking into your website stealing your personal information stuff like that. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's it's a fascinating and I like it because it's you can basically if you think of what they're doing there they're taking advice that's provided by humans mm. and turning it into a machine. Yeah, that's yeah, 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 exactly. And that that you could apply that to, for example, charities that may be helping people with medical problems or charities that are helping people who want to go to university or want to understand the process. So you can extend that model to all sorts of different use cases relatively easily. Yeah, it's actionable, actionable real-life help that helps in all kinds of situations, not just something cyber or digital related. Mm. And also, I mean, if people it, want to check that one out, um, if you Google cyber helpline, then um, the chatbot is there and live, so you can go and use it at any time. Hopefully, if you're not, hopefully you're not a victim of crime, yeah. but it's there to have a look at if you want to see it in real in action. Awesome. I'll link that in the additional resources for the podcast episode. And also... What you said has has got me thinking, this is a perfect example of how automation and humans have to work together because this wouldn't be possible simply with automation. And it also, it would be much, much, much harder to do it on such a scale and such a high rate of success if it were only coming from the human side. So this is a prime example of maybe what the future holds in store for kind of the merging of automation of AI and human input. Yeah, definitely, definitely.
Awesome. We kind of covered some of the values of automation already. What about some of the main challenges and concerns with automations apart from maybe the security concerns that we've already exposed a bit? Mm. Yeah, so it's a good question. I think there's, I think there are probably two areas which um, maybe hold back adoption or are challenges of adopting um, automation and conversational artificial intelligence. So the first one really is about some poor historic experiences. So if you think about new technologies, um, when they come on stream and they start being used, typically there's a lot of hype early on. Lots of people are very excited about how a particular new technology is going to change the world. So expectations are really, really raised. And then really what happens is the early iterations of that technology are quite disappointing. Um, so a lot of people's early experience with chatbots has been quite poor. Everyone's used a chatbot where they've not managed to get an answer or the chatbots just talk gibberish back to them. So we're at the stage now where we're probably coming out of that dip and actually the technology and the implementation of the technology is now up to a standard where we can deliver against expectations. But those historic problems people have had kind of hold them back a little bit in their thinking. So that's one of the things we come up with, um, which is why we really recommend a very iterative approach. So start small, lots mm. of small experiments and learn and build rather than thinking about a chatbot is going to save the world or a chatbot is going to deliver every answer to every problem that your organization faces, because it won't. So start mm -hmm. small and learn. And actually you can learn as the technology learns and that will be in, in the future, a competitive advantage for lots of businesses because they've got in there early rather than they're waiting until someone else has used it better. Yeah, because you have to do the work regardless. So if you start doing it early, you, you have an advantage over the people who start doing it late because they'll have to do the same thing basically. If yeah, they're not exactly. super pioneers or kind of standing on the shoulders of giants and already wait for everybody else to kind of innovate and produce the best possible solutions. Yeah. As you said, it's kind of the first impression that, that makes the biggest impact. And that's probably why, why, yeah, one of the major reasons why we're seeing maybe not as much adoption of automation as the initial hype would have us believe. Yeah, it's definitely in our in our minds, it's definitely better to do a small number of things very well than mm -hmm. try and do a lot of things and not do them very well. Yeah, uh, good is better than perfect, right? Exactly. <laughs> and you mentioned another area of concerns. Really, it's about technology choices. Um, so the the maturity of the technology that we're dealing with at the moment, there are still lots of different technology choices. So, I mean, I've worked in the web for 20 years. I remember the pre-CMS era, so before the likes of WordPress or Drupal came along, and actually people were building custom CMSs. If you think about where we are with conversational AI, we're probably at that stage when things like Drupal and WordPress were starting to emerge. So mm -hmm. there is some coalescence around technologies, but actually there aren't obvious choices for lots of the technologies um, that you're using. There are plenty of obviously cloud services that we can plug together but actually some of this some of the enterprise maturity isn't quite there yet um we've mm -hmm. developed a um op a open source framework called open dialogue which is actually our solution to the challenges of not having a bespoke system so it's the start of something like a content management system but for conversational ai um, which allows you to plug in things like google amazon microsoft technologies but also manage them yourselves and integrate other systems because one of the challenges of delivering true customer service through conversation automation is about integrating with other systems. So maybe your CRM system or your payment system or your ticketing system. And in the integration there, you need to, unless you build it bespoke, you need to get some tools and open dialogue is, as, is our open source solution for doing that. 
Yeah, integration is definitely one of the key things that your platform needs to take care of if you want to compete in, in the kind of multi-channel and the ubiquity of digital experience world. Mm, absolutely. It's impossible to deliver lots of the tasks mm. that uses simple ones if you're not going back to the original system of record or the back office system. Hey, but, but you know, what I noticed that we haven't really talked uh, much about the ethical concerns of automation and probably more specifically AI and machine learning. Do you, do you have any thoughts of that maybe? I think it's a, it's a very hot topic for us at the moment. Um, there's there's some, been some challenges in the UK about the awarding of exam results recently on the basis mm-hmm. of algorithms because of the cancellation of exams. Um, and one of, the, one of the topics that we talk a lot about is actually, it's we have to think about are we asking the ai the right questions early on if we ask ai the wrong questions we will get the wrong results based on the data we put into it and one of the challenges is actually making sure that we don't just ask we don't ask the wrong questions to um, the systems we build we think very carefully about the questions we ask the data that we're going to be training the data, the tools on and how that could introduce bias or inadvertent um, results into it. And yes, there are lots of examples where people have got that wrong, but our, again, our steer is if we start small and don't ask big complex questions, then we can learn and we can make smaller mistakes before we go into bigger, bigger deployments. Would you say that this is one of the biggest, biggest challenges or kind of issues that AI needs to overcome before seeing widespread to worldwide adoption? I think it's it's overcoming. I think I think it's in progress. I think we're seeing people learn very rapidly, um, and AI is behind lots of things that people use without even realizing it. Yeah, exactly. Using predictive text on their mobile phones, which they have been for some years now, they are using artificial intelligence. But what we see is as the adoption broadens out beyond those really really early adopters, there's another wave of learning to happen, and I think that's where. There's, yeah, organizations need to be careful because there's reputational risk if they get it wrong, um, if they don't think about the ethical side of the questions they ask of AI early in their projects. Yep, definitely. Okay, we're already kind of going more current with our discussion. I mean, okay, it is it is in its essence a current discussion because it wouldn't be it wouldn't have been possible on such a scale maybe five or ten years ago. But like we are in 2020 after all. So how would you say that the, the COVID crisis that we're going through right now? Uh, is affecting the future of automation. Like there are probably some huge shifts that we're noticing already in that sphere. I think it's, I, yeah, I mean, I think the, the way that COVID has changed, the way that organizations have to interact with um, their customers means that people have been far more open to automating technologies because they realize actually automation is a way to deal with some of the challenges of people not being able to be face-to-face or being having restricted mm. capacity in existing channels, for example, because you can't have as many people work in a call center because of social distancing. So there's definitely, I mean, we have seen in the past three to four months an acceleration in the type of work that, sorry, and the, the number of projects we're being asked to take on, the ambition of those projects as well, and the pace at which we deliver those projects. So it's for us, it's kind of a compression of a trend that was already there or, um, already. Um, and it's, yeah, it's an exciting time to be working with these kind of technologies. Yeah, and the key word here is, I think, compression, because I've heard numerous times it being said that basically the major thing the COVID crisis did was to condense the digital transformation that was supposed to happen in the span of maybe two years to just a few months. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other interesting thing is for us is how 
automation is starting to automation and conversational interfaces are starting to become the norm so the fact mm -hmm. that more people have worked from home than ever before and more people are using things like slack facebook at work all those kind of tools that means that people are far more comfortable doing using those tools for things that they weren't previously doing mm -hmm. which actually means that the conversational interface is just normal so in a way i mean it doesn't take a big leap to say in an organization, why would, why would an organization have an intranet if they're using a conversational interface when actually you could just ask a bot any question and then the bot does all the hard work of retrieving that organizational information from uh, data repositories all over the organization rather than trying to have an intranet layer that presents that information in a very traditional web interface so that that kind of adoption of the conversational interface i think is a real enabler for another stage of um organizational transformation it's like almost accidental adoption right kind of spontaneous adoption mm. yeah yeah exactly and it's the door and the fascinating thing is what doors does that open for things that we haven't even thought of yet yeah yeah because before say march most people would not have thought of that as you said yeah and yeah so we're really excited to discover and do new things as they as those opportunities emerge yeah i guess every crisis truly is an opportunity if you know if you know how to act on it indeed <laughs> and it's interesting you you mentioned slack with uh, as something that you use frequently daily like i remember the first time i used slack i was really really like impressed by the slack bot like i i just thought that i mean the way that it responded to you even then two years ago was really on point and just the whole way of how they set it up to kind of really brighten your day with inspirational greetings early in the morning that were original and usually also contained some puns or something like I remember one of my favorite ones being be cool but also be warm <laughs> stuff like that so yeah it, it's it's definitely something that is facilitated through the digitalization spurred on by by COVID-19 I, I think I covered everything that, that I wanted to talk to you about that, that's automation specific. Is there something that, that you'd like to point out or, or cover that, that we haven't really thought of earlier? It's been a fascinating conversation and I've really enjoyed it. The thing I would, um, I, if people are really interested in this kind of area, I, there's a book who, uh, written by our co-founder, Dr. Ronald Ashery, called um, The AI Powered Workplace, uh, published last year. So still pretty up to date and definitely worth a read because it talks about lots of the trends that we've talked about today and provides a real um, practical handbook on how you can get started with this kind of thing so yeah i think we'll share hopefully share that link in um in the notes afterwards as well because that's it's a great book to have a look at yeah yeah i'll do that i always try to include all all the things that might be relevant to, to the readers to the listeners you know because the aim of this podcast is to educate to provide info to provide insights and as much as possible is better than some lacking points. Brilliant. Okay, great. Yeah, as you said, it's been a great conversation. I'm, I'm really happy that to have you here. Just before we conclude, uh, if people want to reach out to you or learn more about you, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, for Greenshoot Labs, if they check out the website at www.greenshootlabs.com. Um, I've got a website at simonwakeman.com where I talk about these kind of things. And yeah, Twitter is a good place to have a conversation. So I'm Simon Wakeman on Twitter as well. Great. Thanks, Simon. Thanks for the great chat. And to our listeners, that's all for this episode. Have a great day, everyone, and stay safe. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to check out our other episodes, you can find all of them at agiledrop.com slash podcast. 
as well as on all the most popular podcasting platforms. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes, and don't forget to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues.